I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Okay. Uh, this is Mabcon four, and we're at the Seattle Scottish Rite Masonic Center, and we're about to go to the Esotericism and Freemasonry Conference. Yes. Oh wait, should we say who we are? Oh yeah, I'm Matt Anthony, and I'm Eric Arneson. Welcome to Mabcon four. Uh, one of the defining characteristics of Mabcon is that it always involves we we incept another conference, right? Yes. So we have a conference that goes to a conference. Yes. And um, last year it was this one, and this year it's this one. Yes. But the first one was the book fair. No, the, the first, very one, first one there wasn't conference. Right. Yeah. But that was not. We decided that that one was a MabCon just, a year later. Yeah. You decided. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, um, that's it. That's like a minute of recording that we've done. That's awesome. great. 59 more to go. <laughs> and we're brewing. Yes. What's the name of the beer? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can talk about, like, you have a new robot. Yeah. Ro- Robo Buddy. A Robo Brew. Robo Brew, which basically. Replaces every helper you've ever had. Yep. This is like, you're basically a one-man show now. You're, you're contributing to the problem of automation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that automated. Yeah. It just takes one vessel out of the equation. Instead of having a separate mash tun, uh-huh. uh, having a, actually two vessels, having to have a hot liquor tank, mm-hmm. mash tun, and a brew kettle, it's all one electric kettle. It yeah. doesn't make the recipe for you. It doesn't do anything special. All it does is just... Make it to where you can use one vessel for everything. So yeah, so uh, it's basically like it, it's a big cylinder. That's kind of like a looks like a giant coffee pot. Yeah, uh, or even a pressure cooker with the big thing on top. Yeah, it but, just like, reminds me of like uh, church coffee mm-hmm. urns, the big tall. Right, right. Like that giant one they have in Guthrie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to have that thing. Um. So. Uh, but I just wanted to go all electric. I yeah. to get away from gas. Propane. Because electric's way more accurate and on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's easier to work with. It's quiet. You can brew indoor. The size of this compared to the size of your other system is ridiculous, right? Like the yeah. amount of setup that it took. It's just like one piece of machinery. You've got a few accoutrements around the edges, but like everything was so, you know, there, there's no giant cart with two big kettle no. tubs and a big propane tank and stuff like and I thought that your other system was actually very compact for a homebrew system it's still yeah. really small so this is it was I mean each, when I first started homebrewing I had three vessels and uh-huh. I learned like oh I don't really need a hot liquor tank I can just do mm-hmm. this just trying to simplify and realizing the stuff I don't need yeah so this thing like so all of the grain is in a big basket inside the thing right now mm-hmm. and when we're done, it sort of comes up and rests on the top, and then is our sparge system. Yeah. Right? Like, it's all there. Yeah. So you just lift it up, it drains <clears> out, <throat> and then, yeah, you run your sparge water over the top of it, and hmm. then, it, yeah, it's like doing a normal mash, but the, it's so- whereas normally you, you have your false bottom and your mm-hmm. bottom of your mash ton, and you have to pump it over to the kettle, mm-hmm. it's more or less like having... The mash tun right on top of the kettle because you do. That's kind of like the old days before pumps. You had gravity 
mm-hmm. systems where breweries were built in three to four floor buildings where you had each of the vessel on the floor above so stuff would drain down so it's kind of <laughs> kind of like the yeah. old way stuff was done yeah man it is so compact i'm so impressed with this like when I was living in an RV, I wanted to get back into brewing, and I was like, "How can I get a brew system that's small enough to fit in an RV?" Something like this, like if they had a small—is this the smallest one? That's no, they make one even smaller. That Not Robo been, Brew, but there's yeah. a—it's called Mash and Boil, I think. Mash and Boil, and yeah. it's a little bit smaller system. That would have been perfect. Okay, so since it's illegal to um, home brew without drinking a beer, yes. Um, what, what what is this? Stone Cloud Turtlehead Coffee Stout, Imperial Coffee Stout from Oklahoma. So back when I had. Anthem, when I was mm-hmm. brewing there, there was a steward who came by, he, uh, named Joel, he worked at Avery Brewing in Colorado at the time, mm-hmm. Boulder, one of my favorite breweries. Avery's impressive. Yeah. And he was talking like, hey, I want to think about opening a brewery, like moving back here and opening one up. Oh, that's cool. Cool. And so each time we go up to Colorado, run into him at the brewery and he's always super nice. And then right after I left, he actually moved. Mm-hmm. Right after I left Anthem, he moved and got his backing and they started building working on the brewery he got it all set up and he's one of the best brewers in oklahoma he's really good cool let's crack it open <clears throat> all right drinking out of your iron band fine <laughs> oh, glass everybody loves iron rand everybody hates iron rand right oh yeah we're here with barley the witch dog you want to say hi barley Barley's like never on command. All right, so let's see. So it's a cool can. Yeah. Um, It has a bunch of little characters on the back, like a little turtle, rabbit, and some little chicken. Chicken. (laughs) Oh, it smells uh, like booze. (laughs) There's a that's a hot nose, and it's and it smells like coffee, coffee and booze. Coffee I don't get the booze. At you know, I, I I picked it up right away. Mm. I just get coffee. I don't get any. That is. Because I mean, there's not any booze, but I mean, it's eleven percent alcohol. Yeah. Well, I remember like. Yeah. Yeah. There's no booze, booze. But, yeah. Uh, that's good. It's got. I mean. That coffee flavor is really strong in there, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really sweet. Like it's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a really cool tap room too. Mm-hmm. You know, downtown. Oh, thanks, Oklahoma City. If you find yourself there, <laughs> if you find yourself in Oklahoma City, it's possible you made a wrong turn. Yeah. But if you're there, you're going to have good food and you're going to have yeah. good breweries. So let's see. Yeah, I mean, it's got uh, kind of that sweetness. It's kind of almost brown sugary or molassesy or something. I think so. And um, yeah, that's good. I, that's a dangerously sweet beer. Though. Mm-hmm. I mean, at 11% alcohol, this is this is like a glass of wine right now. <laughs> It okay. doesn't taste 11%. It doesn't. I mean, I can taste the heat in it. I wouldn't guess. I don't think I would guess 11%. You, you don't run into 11% beers very often, though. So hmm. if I hadn't seen the label, I probably would have been like, that's got to be an 8.5% beer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we should talk about what we did yesterday. Yeah. Because there was some disappointment. And um, 
<clears throat> and I know last year we had the same disappointment and decided to not say anything because we wanted to continue supporting this conference, but the Esotericism and Freemasonry Conference, it's not esoteric. No. And... And I don't know what to do about that, except... I think it's just, it could be mostly a function of how early the event is, and how it's kind of a new thing yeah. here within masonry. And so it may just take a few years before they start getting, uh, start attracting talks that are more esoteric. Okay, segment three. <laughs> <laughs> the Esotericism and Freemasonry Conference. Um, this is the second year we've gone to it. Uh, this year we didn't stay at all, and I know that was probably not very polite of us, but uh, but you were right. You know, you, you were right that it does seem to be it's mislabeling itself and mispresenting itself. It's more of a symposium on Freemasonry, mm-hmm. which would be great. But I'm not sure that we would make such a big deal about going to a symposium on Freemasonry that is primarily populated just by Seattle people, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, hey. Oh, there we go. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna just keep talking about this one. Bats out of the room. Possibly, there's nobody making an effort to remind these guys what esotericism is. Um, is there a pause button? Hmm. So I discovered that there's a pause button in the record, so we don't have to like stop and restart all the time. I just paused it. You didn't know that. Well, I mean, you know I've had a lot of trouble making sure that I'm actually recording this. It doesn't hurt either way, because yeah. you're still... Yeah, that's true. There's uh, Okay, so the Esoterism and Freemasonry Conference. I, I've talked about this a couple of times now, but like... Or I've started talking about it a couple of times now, but I think that maybe one of the problems is they, they aren't remembering to focus on what esotericism is. And I don't even... But I mean, reading like this, the mission statement on the front, they obviously know what esotericism is. And why they can't make sure that their talks are about that is strange to me. And I think part of it is because they aren't advertising very far and wide, and they aren't making sure that the call for papers or call for presentations goes out. Mm. Like, it doesn't go anywhere. They don't advertise in any nationwide periodicals. They don't seem to advertise on any nationwide blogs or on Masonic podcasts or anything. Um because, I mean, like, the, the, the talks are just not esoteric. Or the ones that are esoteric don't have anything to do with freemasons. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... I hope that that's something that they can fix. So I know next year it's going to be in Portland. Yeah. Which means, you know, luckily Portland has a really, really deep esoteric community inside Freemasonry that is very rich and can hopefully... You know, I mean, depending on how they do the organization, like, if it's still run by the the guys in Canada, then mm-hmm. it's probably going to be the same stuff. But yeah. hopefully it can be fixed. I'm willing to give it one more chance if, if I see them actually putting... I am too, because I mean, it does take a lot of work to put something like this together. It does. And it takes time for uh, things to develop how they probably actually want them to be. Yeah. So I commend them for the work they put in to Me get too. it together get it going. But yes, but hopefully next year, like I said, it'll get more... Get more esoteric. Yeah, and I'm hoping, you know, that if it ends up that they don't, that they aren't trying to make it more esoteric, maybe they'll change the name so it's a little bit more honest. Yeah. Because even if it's like a, 
know, Pacific Northwest Masonic Symposium has a great ring to it. Mm-hmm. It would attra- we could attract some uh, some really good speakers, some yeah. high, some good names, and um, and it would be honest about what it was doing. Well, I, I don't think they're I, being dishonest. I don't, I don't think, think they're, they're trying being, to yeah, be dishonest, no. but but you know, that's something they have like, to look at their. I think it's the it's a if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Like let's just build it, make it, get it going, and uh, it'll okay. get there. That could be. So we really didn't stick around very long. No, we 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 were there for a little over an hour, and then we took off and we went to the Seattle Antiquarian Book Fair, which was really cool. I didn't buy anything, cool. and we yeah. paid five dollars to get in, but it was worth it just to walk around and check out all the really cool. Yeah, well, I mean, it's totally like a um, book museum kind of, right? Yeah. So there's so many. Yeah, and, and like that's the second antiquarian book fair I've been to, and it does not disappoint. I saw mm. a map by like a genuine Abraham Ortelius map. It only cost seven thousand five hundred dollars. <laughs> I was thinking of pointing it out to you because you could put it on the wall right over there. Like, Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw uh, <clears throat> I saw a bunch of really cool books and just amazing stuff. And then we met uh, William Kessel mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Bishop. I think was the other guy. Richard Bishop is a bookseller in Portland. And William Kessel is the guy behind Aerobarus Press. And he was super nice and super personable. And we, you know, talked about, we nerded out on occult books a little bit. Um, I talked to him about the, we talked to him about the Esoteric Book Conference, Mm -hmm. which is the first MabCon con. MabCon con. Yeah. Well, because the first MabCon, we didn't go to a con. MabCon's a Metacon. Yeah, we're a conference about going to conferences. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should just rename it Metacon. Yeah, and he, he said that, uh, well, so they kind of brought it back this year, and you went this year and said it was pretty small. Yeah, it was really small. I mean, it was still, yeah, it was really small. Yeah. Well, they, well, he said that they do it again next year, and I suggested that he not make it on the same weekend as Esoterica Lodges Quarterly in September. And he said, okay, well, they're going to maybe do it on the second Saturday in September instead of the third. So I'll get in, I'll bug him again to make sure that he remembers that. But he seemed like a really nice guy. We should get him on the podcast. I, now, I say it was small. There's a strong possibility there could have been another area of the lodge that I mm-hmm. didn't realize there was other stuff going on. It could be. But well, it felt like I walked into the main area mm-hmm. and it... The one we went to the first year, it was fairly sprawling, and it was on two floors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and they had that. Yeah, um, did but Seven's art, Seven Bremner had her art on display there, right? No, I think it was at another location where they went to later that night. Oh, that sounds confusing. I didn't see her art there. <laughs> okay, so um, I mean, she may write up. I got there early, like, geez, ten thirty mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah, that's... before I went to the Seattle Cheese Festival. <laughs> How was that? It was amazing. Kidding <laughs> me? Yeah. Um, okay. So then, uh, so then we also did did some beer stuff yesterday, and I took some notes for us because <laughs> we we went around trying to, you know, I mean, when we're tasting beer, I think it's way more important for us to get good beer than to find a good place to record while we're drinking <laughs> beer. So both breweries we went to, it wasn't good recording weather. No, it was. Um, would have been too noisy. We would have been interrupted too much, and they were really packed. Oh, like, yeah. uh, so first we went to Cloudburst. Before that, though, before that we uh, got lost. Well, for no, a second. We, we went to the Masonry. Oh yeah, which lunch. is the which is a pizza place, but it just happens out of a really yeah awesome craft beer, and like uh, the owner was really big in the sours. Mm-hmm. I didn't write down what I had there. I don't think um, you had the Holy Mountain. It was a porter. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, the Holy Mountain Porter. So, and I remember that beer really distinctly because, um, you know, the porters are kind of a hit and miss beer for me. Like mm-hmm. sometimes they're kind of there and it's just sort of like I'm drinking a beer but nothing exciting is going on. Um, but the, the Holy Mountain Porter, it had a really nice richness to it. Like there was a, a good sort of like roasted, I don't want to say it was a coffee flavor, but like a roasted malt flavor that really sort of came through and added a nice sort of level of rich bitterness that made it a really pleasant beer, a nice drink. I wish I could remember what I got. It was a fresh hop beer. I feel like it was, it was a, a collaborative. Was... Saison? Didn't you get a Saison there? No. Oh. I feel like it was a fresh hop collab. Yeah. Well, we should have um, written it down. But I wrote down what we had at Cloudburst. Yes. So Cloudburst is this... What part of town is that? I don't know what part of town that is. Uh, it's just... It's right by the market. Right by the market. Yeah. Is Near it? the waterfront. Okay. Just downtown. And it's a neat little... It's almost like a... Uh, the space itself almost feels like an afterthought space. Like they put in two buildings and there is an extra space in the middle. They're like, oh crap, you should turn this into a building too. Yeah. Super old building. Yeah, it's, it's super crammed, old. and it's, Low ceilings. Yeah. Nothing's finished out, which is, adds to the character. Oh, what yeah. It's the... One of the guys who used to be one of the main brewers at Elysian, uh-huh. when Elysian got bought out by AB InBev, he left, and I want to say Dick Cantwell, who's one of the partners, one of the original partners in Elysian, I think he put money into Cloudburst too. I may be wrong on that, but I know that the main brewer from Cloudburst and the guy that runs it is from Elysian. Okay. So, yeah. Well, so when we were there, I had Happy Little Clouds, which is a dry hop pilsner, um... And I really liked that one a lot. It was very clean. Uh, it had it started off very pilsnery. It had a, like a good yeasty nose on it that I wrote down that it reminded me of donuts or cakes. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, and then it really like it. It oh hey, dog, don't eat that stuff. Um, and then it uh, it kind of opened up into this like beautiful pilsner body and then it had like this hop finish that was so unpilsnery but it all kind of worked together really well so i was i was pretty happy with it and you drank i started off with uh, that pumpkin beer something about great oh, owl right or... right right uh the end of the great or the legend of the great owl or uh, it was so great their menu there is so you if you go to cloudburst and i highly recommend people go there because their beer is delicious their menu, their beer menu is awesome because every yeah. beer has like a little funny story. Yeah, whoever writes the copy it. for the, the beer descriptions is yeah, genius. Because that's my favorite part of going there is just sitting there and reading. He deserves a high five. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was The Legend of the Great Owl or something like that. Because it was sounds right. basically, and it didn't really say what was going on, but so one of um, Elysian's famous beers is their Night Owl, which is a pumpkin ale right yeah so it's probably a it's play on that it is it was so they were talking about how um there's a period of time when pumpkin beers got really popular and so every you know there were so many pumpkin ales on the market and then that kind of all went away and people don't make them as much anymore and so the the little story in the menu was sort of alluding to that and they're like this is an homage to all of the great pumpkin beers of yore that are <laughs> no longer around and we talked about so, uh, all right, so hops, like, uh, let's go back to what we're making now, or mm-hmm. what you're making now. What are we hopping it with? What do we have? What's going in Which there? Which hops? Yeah. Uh, sterling for bittering and sots for uh, flavor and aroma. Oh, because it's a uh, stout. Yeah. So it's not going to have a huge amount of hop no, flavor. No, hardly any at all. Yeah. And are we going to use pellets or flour? 
pellets. Okay. Yeah. Forget flowers. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we talked about, so it's fresh hop season right now. So there's a lot of fresh hop and, uh, and wet hop beers, um, available. Uh, maybe, and I think that you run into this even more in Seattle than you do in Portland, but, but fresh hops are really big in Portland right now mm-hmm. too. Um, it's a very exciting time for hop heads everywhere. Yes. I like fresh hop beers because they aren't as like punch you in the face with hops as an IPA. And so you end up like really experiencing a lot more, uh, like different characters out mm-hmm. of the hops, right? Like you taste more grassy notes and more flowery oh. notes and more, and sometimes even more citrusy notes and stuff. Like it, it just really like, it kind of really fills out the beer in an interesting way. And yeah. it, you know, that, because I had a, um, the sweater wetter, which was like a wet hopped hazy. And that makes so much more sense. Like that thing was so much, it was so delicious. It was, uh, I wrote down that it had, well, actually we both had, because you had none more wet, which yes. was a citra, um, was that a fresh hop? Yes. It was, and it was a collab with uh, Bell Breaker. Bell Bellbreaker. Bellbreaker. My handwriting is amazing. Yeah, they're in Yakima. They, it's really cool. They've got a, the brewery is in a hop form. Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't know if they own the hop form. I think they do. Mm-hmm. Or at least the, the brewery is in the hop form. I've been there. That's really cool. And we both kind of independently were tasting the beers and like, oh, this tastes, this has notes of melon. Like I had written it down while you were saying it to me about your beer. I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, because it really like... Like a good, like these, um, the hazies, you know, sometimes they have kind of like an orange juicy flavor to it, but, but this one lacked the sharpness. It just had like an orange flavor without like the orange sharpness and Mm -hmm. it made me think of melons, but that was pretty good. And we ran into the McKellar running club. Yeah. I don't know what the heck that was about. I don't either. It was, was, I've seen beer runs before, but I didn't know there was a... Why McKellar? I don't know. Why is there a McKellar internet if you're out there listening to this tell us what the mckellar running club is <laughs> uh okay and then we went to perihelion perihelion mm-hmm. which is um another astronomically themed yeah brewery like ecliptic yeah 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 which i love yeah. like i love because those guys always have the best art and the coolest beer names and stuff what made me check them out the first time was the fact that they do a lot of belgians they're mm-hmm. up in uh, beacon hill right i would never been to that part of town before it's really nice up there it's pretty and it's a hill i didn't see a beacon but there's definitely <laughs> a hill seattle has a lot of hills oh yeah i don't know if people, people don't know that it's, yeah it's like san francisco it's very much it has a very san francisco feel in terms of the hills yeah. but um so when we were there i had when we were there, I had a Quasar Triple, uh, or the Quasar Triple, I guess, and that was a pretty good beer. Oh, man, I started off with the Basil Saison. That mm-hmm. was really, really good. I was impressed with that thing. That was, that was definitely good, too. But the, so the, the Quasar Triple, actually, it was very much, it tasted like a, like a really standard triple to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, um, it tasted almost Belgian, like, Trappist-style yeah. triple. <clears throat> um, it was really malty. And kind of peppery and uh, a pretty good drinker. Like it, that's one of the things I really like about triples, right? Is they they're strong beers, but uh, but they aren't heavy. Sort of like a golden ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must they're related styles, obviously, aren't they? Belgian golden golden and a Belgian triple. Yeah, and that they're Belgian. <laughs> but I mean, don't they use similar? So they both similar use, yeast strains. And they sometimes. use they use they both use candy sugar, don't they? Yeah. 
So they should. <laughs> so that makes them related. <laughs> and then we had the apricot sour after that. Oh yeah. That was really good too. Yeah, that was the surprise beer. You surprised me with it. Mm-hmm. And um and I'm glad that you picked sour because I avoid them. I avoid them a lot because of that place in Portland with the beers so sour that they like eat holes in your esophagus. Cascade. Um, cascade. Cascade barrels. Like those beers are so sour that they are novelties. Yeah. Right? But it They're might phenomenal, brain... but if you spend an evening drinking them, your throat will, well, at least mine, <laughs> literally bleeds the next day. Which I think is probably unhealthy. Yeah, probably probably not good. <laughs> you should gargle with baking soda. <laughs> <The> volcano. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, but because of that, like, I always think to myself, like, I can enjoy a sour, but I really just, I just don't want to get one. Um, because they, they ruined me mm. on sours. So I was really glad that you got that for me, because it reminded me that sour beers don't have to be trying to kill you oh. to be good. How are we doing? Are you looking at the input levels? I was just seeing if it's actually recording. It's recording. When the light is solid, it's recording. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was kind of our, our beer experience yesterday. Well, no. Oh, shit. We kept then we, drinking. Yeah, because then we were going to go to uh, Bremerton. Whereas yeah. We were going to go to this place called Ashley's Pub, and then we were going to go to Silver City's Tap Room mm-hmm. in Bremerton. But on the way from Seattle to Bremerton... Uh, somebody forgot their debit card. We won't call anybody out, but it probably wasn't Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to turn around and go back. But but we did go to Ashley's Pub, yeah. um, which is this great little nerd pub yeah. uh, filled with games. There were like people playing D&D in there. Oh, yeah. We were the oldest people in there. No. There was there one were... table slightly older. Maybe. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> it was... They have a giant wall of... Every kind of game oh, yeah. you can imagine. And a really big beer selection. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we made a really interesting discovery, which is that in England and Washington, a schooner of beer is small, whereas in the rest of the world, a schooner of beer is big. <laughs> and that was weird, because we got up there and Matt ordered a schooner. What did you have? I can't remember. The Backwoods Pecan Pie Porter. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what I had. I think I just, I, I didn't have anything super exciting there, but you ordered a schooner of beer. Oh, I had the three-way. Four oh, yeah. three-way. Um, so he, he, uh, Matt ordered first, and he ordered a schooner beer. I was like, wow, that's weird. Matt's just been drinking little beers all day. Why is he getting a big one of porter? And out came this little 10, 12-ounce glass. And I was like, huh. Because I remember when you got charged, and I was like, oh, my God, four bucks for a schooner of beer? And I was so <laughs> surprised. And then I saw the size of it. I was like, oh, that's that's not... Uh, no. everything's, everything's different. This is I feel right. like every place I've been to a beer that has schooner, it's the 10-ounce. Huh? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, in in um, in Oregon, if you order a schooner of beer, you're getting a 24 ounce huh. usually. Yeah, like you know, at um, at Hopworks, the Mug Club yeah. size, that would be a schooner. Huh? Yeah. I wonder why the. I don't know, but we looked it up on Wikipedia, and Wikipedia says that in England, a schooner is basically twice the size of a sherry glass, so it's about three quarters of a pint, hmm. which is 12 ounces. Yeah, about a 12 ounce beer. But everywhere else in the world, it's a different size. So I guess maybe Washington is just... Or British? It could be. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we need a beer historian. <laughs> um, but uh, it was nice to have the three-way again. I hadn't had that in a while. Yeah, I love that beer. Um, and we were checking out their beer selection, and they have some stuff there that is a little surprising. So it, I would say that 
be careful buying uh, beer at, at Ashley's if you get really excited about it because it might have been there for a little while. Because uh, the Commons, Flemish Kiss, that's got to be nine months old. Yeah, but that's a beer that's going to age yes, well for a really long that's time. That's true. But there's a lot of, but not all beer is like that. And it sucks to get surprised. It sucks to get excited about a beer and then rush home and open it and be like, what the hell's wrong with this beer? Because it's like three years old. Yeah, but I didn't, I don't know. I didn't look at the dates on the other beers, but. I don't know. There, I've just, I've just had that happen before. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, brewery in Amsterdam that I really love. Uh, uh, Bra- I'm going to say, sorry, sorry, Dutch speakers. Brauerei hat I. Um, and it's right on the it's right on the uh, the eye, which is a the like the little body of water that Amsterdam is on, mm-hmm. <clears throat> in the last windmill in Amsterdam, and it is just great Dutch beer. Huh. You know, they have a whole variety of styles from like you know lighter beers to big heavy triples and stuff. And um, I really love going there. And when I moved to Portland. I was at John's Market down in Southeast, which is a which is well known for his beer selection, and they had Brauerei Brauerei beer there, and I was just like, "What the hell?" And I got some, took it home, cracked one open, and it was nasty. And so I was like, "What's going on?" And I looked at it, and there was a date on the bottle, and the beer was like five years old. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a sad day. <laughs> So I, I, that's why I get suspicious when a brew, when a beer place has old beer in their in their cooler or in the, on the shelf. I'm always like, well, you know, caveat emptor. <laughs> um, yeah. So then after that, uh, we uh, we had to take the ferry back across into Seattle, mm-hmm. and we thought that we were going to get to try Rainier IPA, but it was just normal Rainier in the in the holiday yep. can. Very disappointing. We we need to get some of that. Yeah. But we did make it back to Perihelion. Mm-hmm. Didn't drink anything. Nope. Just grabbed your wallet. True. Or your uh, My debit card. Whose? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we came back. Oh, um, no, we went to uh, Red Hot. Oh, yeah, we went to Red Hot and had uh, hot dogs. And there I had... Uh, oh. I had a Petrus Dogfish Head collaboration. Yeah, that, was that really thing good. was really amazing. Yeah. Um... I don't remember what I had. I think I'm almost... Oh, I had a... Um... Oh, I just had it. It was a German style. Didn't I have a Meritzen? Yeah, you did. Yeah. It was from... I don't remember what brewer it was from. I don't think I wrote this down. Let me see if I wrote it down. Nope. Nope. I did write down a funny thing when we were talking about... Oh, yeah. Can you tell us... Tell us a little bit about the difference between fresh hops, wet hops, and dry hops. I think we've covered it before, but but the uh, the reader, the listeners want to know. Oh, dry hopping is just that we're at the end of the brewing process, or not brewing, but at the end of fermentation, mm-hmm. you dump a bunch of hops in the fermenter just to spike the beer with more okay. hoppiness. And then fresh hops are what it sounds like, like the first... Mm-hmm. As soon as they're in hop harvest, you down, go down and you grab a bunch of hops. So they haven't had time to really... But you told me yesterday, I was really surprised to hear this, so fresh hops can be pelletized. Yeah. And they still count as fresh hops because they just haven't had time to degrade? Yeah. Okay. And then what's wet hop? Wet hop is... you. Well, someone's going to correct me on this. That's I know cool. it. But uh, my take was always that wet hop 
was just the whole flower instead of pelletized. Okay. So it's a it's similar to fresh hops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, and then um, you uh, had a great impression or a great feeling about uh, fresh hop Simcoe. No. Tell us. Tell us. What does it taste like? Fresh hop or wet hop Simcoe beers just taste and smell like cat pee and onions. <laughs> I, I do not like them. I really want to try one now. I really want one. <laughs> uh <clears throat> So we didn't uh, we didn't exp- we didn't do a whole lot of esoteric stuff this weekend. Nope. In the end, still a good time. Although we did watch a video this morning from Scarlet Ravenwood about the ten types of witches, and we found out what kind of witches we are. Yeah. Then we watched some Poker Onion. Who never gets old. Nope. Poker Onion is my dream wizard grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we found out kind of what uh, what kind of uh, witches we are. Yeah. According to that video. So what kind of witch are you? I am a green kitchen witch, and I think I'm a. Cosmic Hedge Witch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting. I guess um, uh, I, I really enjoy watching Scarlet Ravenswood's videos, and I don't know why. It's not like they're really blowing my mind or anything, but, but you know, she's attractive, and she's fun to listen to. But the ten, you know, like, ten witches, what kind of witch are you? It's, it's almost like I was like, I'm going to watch this because I'm going to be entertained. It's going to be funny. Yeah. But I also learned things. Yeah. Because as we were going along, I thought, oh. Yeah. Like you said, oh, you're mm-hmm. a kitchen witch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then at the end when she talked about the cosmic witch stuff, like I, I hadn't, I mean, like I know that there are a lot of witches who are into like uh, astrology and, and you know, planetary timings and stuff. I just never really thought that they were all categorized in one yeah. group. So that was kind of neat to learn. I thought wish you'd call yourselves space witches. That'd be better. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to be a space witch. Space witch. Space witch. Yep. Eric the space witch. This this works for me. <laughs> okay. How much time do we have left on this beer? Uh, I need to start getting stuff ready for the sparge. Okay. Then um, I'll I'll put an end to this recording. Sounds good. Okay. Okay, we're back. We're back, and uh, we have a really exciting beer. Can you yes. tell us about it? This is Malvasia Goose, which is a collab between American Solera and Alloy Wineworks. I don't really know a whole lot of them. I think it's an actual blend between that wine company's wine and this Goose. Well, Malvasia is a is a varietal. It's a okay. white it's a white wine grape. Um, and it's grown all over the place. Uh, a lot of it comes from Italy, and they grow it on the island of Madeira, too, which makes me think it's probably a wine grape that's used a lot in Madeira, which is one of my favorite fortified wines. So this is a grape that's used in fortified wines a lot. And uh, Aguza is um, a, like a sour-ish. Is, is that the um, the Lambic? Style? It's the yeah, goose is like just it's a straight unflavored, unflavored lambic. lambic. Yeah. Typically or frequently, a goose is also um, made in a Solera style, mm-hmm. where you have the multiple years blended together to sort of round out the flavors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we open it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was a good open. Oh, that sounded good. Oh, I'm really excited about this. What color do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be kind of gold. I bet it's going to be reddish. From what? I don't know. 
<laughs> nope, you were right. <laughs> well, because it's a white wine. Oh, I can yeah. smell it. Apparently, which dog is that? Griffin. Griffin can smell it, too. Ooh, it is pretty. It's got a really... Like, that head has huge bubbles. Um, it has a fizz to it that kind of makes me think of uh, soda pop, even. Like, listen to that. Hopefully that fizzing came through. Sessionable nine percent. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Okay, so it's cloudy. Like you're not seeing through this beer. It's gold and cloudy. It has a super. You know what? The nose, I have to say, it makes me think of like white wine and also kind of Budweisery. That must be the type of hops they're using. It is really good. Yeah? It's really interesting. Oh. I don't... The sweetness of those grapes really temper the sourness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're both in there. Mm-hmm. There's a... Um, the aftertaste is... There's a real tart aftertaste. That, not, not real tart, but a little tartness in the aftertaste mm-hmm. in the finish. I don't know how to describe this. Kind of fruity, kind of grapey, mm-hmm. kind of beery. Yeah. It's delicious. It's really unique. I, like I, it. I can't taste the 9% alcohol. No. <laughs> of course, our last beer was 11%, so maybe we... Yeah, it's just like a... Like, I would love this as a summer beer. A very dangerous summer beer. This is the sort of beer where if it was your summer beer, you'd be, like, sitting in your hammock, drinking a beer, and when it was time to stand up, you'd be on the ground. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I only had four beers. Oh. <laughs> four bottles of wine. Um, but this is this would be an awesome food beer, too. Yeah. I could see this going really well with uh, with meat, for sure. But, yeah. Nice. Thanks for sharing this. Thanks. So tell us more about American Slurry. You said you were just mentioning to me that they're a very rare beer, and it's hard to get a hold of. Yeah, so... There's this guy named Chase Healy. He started Prairie Artisanals, which mm-hmm. is famous all over the world. They're distributed everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's based out of Oklahoma. And we brewed together in the co-op. Uh, one night started Anthem. He was brewing for this company called Redbud. Mm-hmm. And then he left Redbud to start Prairie. Got picked up by Shelton Brothers. Blew up overnight. And like one of the most sought-after beers. And then last year, I think, he sold his interest in Prairie to this company called Chalk. Uh, another Oklahoma company, so Prairie's still there, but he kept his facility in Tulsa and started American Solera. And um, are all of their beers done in a Solera style? Which we should probably explain for the listener. Solera uh, comes, I, I think the term is usually used for sherry, but it's uh, it's where you have a rack of barrels, each of which is a different age, and you sort of top up, so the bottommost barrel would be the oldest one, and you top it up with the barrels above it, and you release the the bottom barrel, which is the oldest barrel you have, and move everything else down a rack, and then you continue. So there's always like a blend. It's always like a blend of year over year over year. Yeah. And I don't know if that's what he does, but uh-huh. I, I wouldn't doubt it. He may do some other beers where he doesn't do that, but mm-hmm. his chase has never really been uh, big on sticking to, or being pinned into one uh-huh. thing. He's pretty creative, so he may not do that with every beer. But with a Guzzo, it would make sense. Because mm-hmm. Guzzos are um, 
almost always a cuvee. This is the first American Solera I've got to have. Yeah? I really like it. Tell me more about what you're getting out of it. Basically all the same stuff you said. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to think about this like a wine to see what I can get. You know, like tropical fruit. Yeah, and that's definitely that's gotta be the grape. Like I taste I taste some some notes in there that are definitely grape like. I, I don't think I've ever had a um Malvasia on its own, so I don't know I don't know what they really taste like. I don't either. Um, but I've it's definitely it. like you can, it works together, but you still taste like, oh, this is wine. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is beer. Yeah. Yeah. But they still work together. Yeah. And there's a, an additional sweetness in there. I don't even know where that's coming from. I'm going to guess it's the grape because I would say, I would, my guess would be that Malvesia is a grape that is pretty high in sugar since um, it's used in fortified wines. Mm-hmm. It probably is done because it's easy to ferment, and it probably ferments pretty hot. And then, uh, I mean, hot is in it probably ferments out to a, a pretty high alcohol level. And I would guess that um, that's a lot of the sweetness in there is probably leftover grape. Exactly. I have no idea. I'm speculating wildly. We're almost at full full boil, so I need to stand over the kettle. And watch okay. Well, I'm gonna over. so. Uh, I'll describe a little bit of the process that we've been through since our last segment. So, um, at the end of the, okay, so we're we're, we're gonna have links to the Robo Buddy Robo Brew. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay, Robo Buddy. laughs> um, but it's basically like a cylinder with another cylinder inside of it, and the cylinder on the that was that was inside of it. Um, wheels within wheels. <laughs> <laughs> was the ma- was all the grain, all the the whole grain bill that was for the mash. Uh, and so that cylinder sort of comes up and locks into place, uh, allowing it to drain out like a big tea bag, I guess, or a tea cylinder, a tea pot. <laughs> and then we sparged. The sparge was over so quickly that I like left the room for a second and I came back and it was done. I didn't even get to watch the sparge. It's like picture if you made a brew vessel after a matryoshka. Don't. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a vessel within a vessel. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to pump over, you're lifting your mash tun out of the kettle. Yeah. And letting yeah. it drain directly in and having to pump. And that was the hardest part. And like, we're at boil. We're at boil. We're already? <laughs> yeah. It's only been... Yeah. yeah. This is almost better than <laughs> propane. It, well, the timing has worked out about the same. Yeah. Because there was some concern with being electric that it wouldn't. Especially it's 110. It's not 220. Are you so, kidding? Yeah. That was another consideration because like, yeah. some of the electric systems are like that. Like, ideally, you'd want 220 just for the extra oomph and to get up to speed. But this is this is hung the same speed as gas. When do we put hops in? Uh, here in a minute. Okay. We'll let it get to a little stronger boil. It's still pretty good boil. Cool. Well, uh, I'm going to stop recording again. We're going to finish enjoying this beer and. Um, and we have more to share. We have another beer. We have another pretty exciting beverage to taste later on that you guys will get to hear about. Okay, so the boil started. We put in the hops. It was it was not very much hops. It was like a cup, half a cup. Yeah. Oh, how many hops? Yeah, it was an ounce. An ounce. An yeah. ounce of hops. Yeah. That's hardly any. 
I'm so used to. No, I mean it's a four gallon batch, and it's not that's a hot beer to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess, you know, I'm used to making IPAs and stuff where you a ton pile in the hops, or where you know where hops are like the nerd part of the beer are the hops. So you've got like multiple varieties, and you've got like whole leaf hops or whole flower hops, and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, what kind of yeast are we using? Uh, it was my first choice. I can't remember which it is a uh, Y yeast, high gravity Trappist. <laughs> um, but there's the the it yeah. parts of this the Robo Buddy. <laughs> Shit, I'm never gonna get the name right. <laughs> the Robo Brew. Part of the benefit of it has been like there's so little to clean yeah it feels like there are so few additional moving parts mm-hmm. there's so much less stuff so many fewer places where you're going to spill things or break things or and and you know like we were just talking about the way that we're going to chill the beer is almost too complicated yeah because <laughs> right? i have a really cool little plate chiller that i have to use a pump with mm-hmm. but the robo brew comes with an emergent chiller which is like this coil yeah steel. which would be and I could just use that and go gravity. Mm-hmm. But like I saw in Eric, in Oklahoma, our groundwater temps are so high, it takes a long time to knock out the beer to like get a, the right temperature to pitch the yeast. Right. But here, I don't think I need it. So the next beer, I'll probably, cold here, yeah. Yeah, I'll try it without the pump and the immersion chiller. <laughs> keep it more simple. Well, it's exciting. It's exciting that um, that this is so easy. Like last last year when we did it, like it's noisy. You know, the propane was running the whole time. Uh you were stressed out the whole time, like, the, yeah. were you? I don't know if stressed out is the right word, but you totally go into like brewer mode, where you're it just so combo. focused. Yeah, on um, that one, I was. It was yeah. coming over like, yeah, I do go into like brewer mode. I don't mm-hmm. really talk. I just do yeah. my thing and I'm focused. Yeah. And but that was also the first time I'd done an all grain brew, in I don't know how long, maybe a few yeah. years. Yeah, that's true. And uh, but there was also there was so much stuff going on. Yeah. Like the um the sack for the grains, right? Mm-hmm. Like. That thing was so awkward to deal with. Like, it took both of us to haul it out of there. It was just this big, lumpy, wet sack filled with sopping wet yeah. grain. Because like, I was doing, I was trying brewing it back because I didn't yeah. have a lot of my old equipment. So I couldn't even do like a true two vessel yeah, yeah. brew. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was complex. I, ne- I, I had a very difficult time following exactly what we were doing last year. But this time, it's, it's so simple. Like, every stage is, self-contained you know clean quiet simple you only needed my help once yeah i'm mostly useless today (laughs) i've been sitting and watching a ton though it's (laughs) which i'll probably buy like a little winch Uh, no you can't do that anymore ownership of humans is illegal (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i was thinking you know you even even a pulley would be fine Mm -hmm. you know you would that's what i meant yeah yeah um but yeah, that's really cool. And so you were showing me that uh, the bigger brew, the, the nano brew system, yeah. the four barrel thing, mm-hmm. that looks incredible. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I hope that um, you win the lottery soon so you can start a brewery. You and me both. Could we Kickstarter it? Yeah. We should see. Maybe there's interest out there. That'd be cool. I would love that. I'm dying yeah. to get the new brewery going. But I'm dying be... to get you brewing again because 
because you know i mean this is so this is the first thing you've brewed since last fall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no i brewed something back in the spring but oh, wait was i here i wasn't here for that no okay but i didn't like that one oh, okay. so no one drank it uh-huh. um but i mean the thing is like uh i know you 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 love doing these creative unusual beers but i also want to see what you come up with when you're just like brewing a pale ale or brewing a whatever your normal like when you when you have a when you have you know what we would call like a normal style what's your favorite style to brew oh geez uh, just like out of like nothing crazy just a well, normal yeah even if it everyday it, beer yeah you know like even if it's like a you know belgian golden ale or belgian blonde belgian blonde yeah yeah um what what makes it so fun to brew <laughs> I've never thought about it. Um, well, it's can, not that it's fun. It, it's it, always fun. But is it always just, satisfying? Uh, is, does it end up being yeah. a really satisfying beer? Yeah. So what goes into a Belgian blonde? Like, what's that like? What's that? Oh, process? it's really straightforward. It's mostly all Pilsner malt uh-huh. and a little bit of flaked wheat. Yeah. And a little flaked oats. Uh huh. And that's it for mine. Wow. So and what and uh, when you do Belgian style beers, so I've always heard. I don't know if this is a true thing, but I've heard that a lot of Belgian beers use. Sort of like older hops, so their hops are maybe a little sours. Sours, traditionally would, yeah. Okay, not like the the Trappist beers, no. But like if you're making a traditional sour, like a mm-hmm. lambic or something like that, then yeah, you definitely you use old hops. Yeah. Okay, and old hops, like they'll still have some of the antibacterial properties, but a lot of the flavor and stuff is just sort of they start going cheesy. Cheesy. Yeah, gross. they start getting like a Parmesan character about them. <laughs> I love Belgian beers. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like they're always sort of like, how can we make this taste funkier? <laughs> <laughs> or or they're just so lazy. They're like, oh, I don't want to get new hops. These, these are going to be fine. They've been sitting around for a couple of years. They'll be fine. That's one of the best compliments I ever got when uh-huh. I had the brewery was the head brewer from Unibrew in Canada uh-huh. was doing a tour. And I think mostly just hitting some of the bigger accounts in each city, like retail accounts and restaurants that carried Unibrew. Mm-hmm. And... He came by the brewery and he walked in. We talked a little bit. He's like, "I got to tell you, this is the cleanest brewery I've ever been in," which is the biggest compliment in the world. But what's funny is one of my favorite Belgian breweries, Cantillon, the filthiest place I've ever been in my life. And yeah. if they cleaned it, it would destroy that beer because for what they're making, mm-hmm. they need all that. I've heard that's huge with like lambics too. Like there yeah. are lambics that have been brewed in the same crusty, falling apart barn yeah. for centuries, and they that's can't why Cantillon, change it. Yeah, they can't move. Because they're they cannot brew as much as the world wants of their beer, mm-hmm. and they want to make more, but they won't for fear that if they move, that the beer won't taste the same. Yeah, jeez, you'd basically have to, you know, what they could do: get a larger facility, totally scrub it so it's super sterile, and then take apart their old building and put it inside that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're gonna say like build a really nice giant facility, uh-huh. close it off for 50 years, don't clean it. Yeah, <laughs> painstakingly, painstakingly move every cobweb and every pile of dust from the old building. It to is everything's so grimy and there's cobwebs everywhere, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful. Yeah. Everything's super archaic. They hoist barrels up using chains and weird contraptions and uh-huh. hooks and. Uh-huh. It's extremely manual, and it's a tiered brewery. Oh, like you were talking yeah. about before, where it's all gravity fed. Yeah. Oh man, that would be so cool to see. You you did a tour over there of breweries. Yeah. 
back before I started the brewery. Yeah, nice. That must have been really fun. Yeah. Uh, do we have any weird Belgian beers to taste? There's a. F- We've got some stuff from Adelbert's in Austin, Texas. We could try. They're really good Belgian. Brewery. They make that uh, amber that I've been drinking. Yeah. Right. That thing is easy. Yeah. What a nice, pleasant beer. Uh, even though I didn't finish the one I opened last night. There was like a barrel aged raspberry quad, I think, in the fridge. Oof. Another session beer. Yeah, another another nice light session beer. What time is it? <laughs> it's after five. Yeah. Well, I guess it's okay to have a nice light session beer after five, right? <laughs> My mom has a schedule for these sorts of things, so we have to... <laughs> Might until wait till the boil's over for that one. Okay, that sounds good. Um, we should be doing pretty good on the boil, right? We're about yeah. 20 minutes in. I'm still... I had a... 10 gallon uh, electric pilot system that mm-hmm. the brewery I had in Oklahoma and I loved it but it's been a while like the last couple times I've brewed have been on gas again so mm-hmm. it's nice to hear the quiet or not hear anything again while brewing it's just super quiet it's like, amazing you know, we're six feet from the kettle yeah it's making zero noise um yeah actually earlier uh I was in here and Matt was testing the the robo buddy <laughs> The RoboBuddy's ability to stay at one temperature. And so I was just in here reading a book or playing around or something. And there's this noise for a second. And it's like, I'm like, what's going on? And it was, it was the RoboBrew just doing its Robo job. Oh, in the RoboBrew, that was the pump, the external pump I had on it. Because RoboBrew does make it. No, you weren't in the room. There was some kind of noise. Oh, I haven't heard it. It might have been the water heating noise or the metal heating noise. Like sometimes those things just make noise because something is changing size mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it was not loud or anything and i was questioning that i was hearing anything at all but yeah i'm i'm really happy with this thing i hope that they listen to this episode and decide that we're so cool that we should get a free robo brew yes you hear that robobrew.com <laughs> i forget that's like a keg something dot com it's an australian company that makes oh okay them. yeah they'll never hear us no oh well yeah uh, but uh maybe more beer Mm-hmm. Their distributor. You know what? I actually, I um, you know, so Keith Reddy was our was the last guest we had, and um, that interview went super well. And afterwards, Keith said that he sent uh, he sent it to a bunch of OTO guys in Australia. So if we're lucky, one <laughs> of those OTO guys in Australia works for the Robo Brew Keg Company. I'm called. Uh... <clears throat> Kegland. Kegland. It's like kegland.com.au. Yep. Yeah. So if we're lucky, one of the Australian OTO guys works for Kegland and will get hooked on our podcast and will listen to this and then be impressed and be like, oh, they... Yeah. yeah. Do us us American Bogans a solid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll brew some amazing beer and we'll name it all after uh, OTO people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to... I want to... Jack Parsons um, explosive uh, stout. No. What would a Jack Parsons beer be? It'd be rocket fuel. Yeah. It'd be... Some super high gravity. Oh, yeah. High gravity, stronger than hell, possibly light on fire. (laughs) (laughs) It would be... uh, No, you know what? We'd have to bottle condition it, but put too much sugar, priming sugar in. So it just explodes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... 
I hope it's not too soon to make that joke. <laughs> we put the we'll make a Jack Parsons beer and an L. Ron Hubbard beer, and we'll put them next to each. If you buy both beers, put them next to each other. Uh, a red beer will appear. Yes, yes. Oh, we can make a Marjorie Cameron. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scarlet Late Ale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you already made a beer once named after Aleister Crowley, and she had to make a Tomegatherion. That also made a Babylon. Oh yeah, that's right. So you've already kind of done the OTO beers. Yeah. Um, and we've had we got to try both of those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Babylon you definitely yeah. tried both of them. Yeah. That was one of my favorite ones I got to make at the brewery. Because you still have um, a few bottles left in the cupboard, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I think three. It was a sour. Tomegatherion might be gone. No, there's one bottle. Okay. That was a pilot batch. I never took that into production. Oh. Because it was like 21%. I remember tasting it. It was it was a beast, yeah. for sure. It was a great beast. <laughs> and then um, we had some Babylon, and then Pappy Burleson. That one was really good. Festivus. Festivus. Festivus was the one that was all figgy and datey mm-hmm. and stuff. That, that it's like a like, ginger snob. Oh, kinda. man. That was a great, great one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hope you get a brewery again soon. Everybody should hope that you get a brewery again soon. We may need to like make a comic book like The Invisibles and Yeah, we need a, a mega sigil project to get a brewery. What were we listening to? Um we were listening to the last podcast on the left today and they brought up the Invisibles a few times. It was in the Men, the Men in Black episode. Yeah. Um uh, I really liked that episode. I, you know, we we've, we've talked about that podcast a little bit and I, I find it kinda of hit and miss. Like some of the stuff I I love every episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's way more fun listening to it with you and Joey because you and Joey are so you know because we talk about it while it's happening. But um, the Men in Black episode is pretty fascinating, primarily because like some of that, some of that UFOlogist conspiracy theory stuff, like I have so little patience for it that I'm never gonna put time into researching it because no. it seems so. There's so many things in life that are worth researching that are actually going to improve the quality of my life mm-hmm. and knowledge. Um, but listening to them sort of like track down the origins of the men in black legend and how that sort of developed was really cool. Yeah. I really liked that. And it was all based on a Nick Redfern book. Um, uh, and I've read one of his books. He has a book. I read a book of his called uh, three men seeking monsters because Nick Redfern, uh, I'm not going to get this right. Cause I don't know a whole lot. I don't remember a whole lot about him, but from what I, do you recall he's like a really big name in the cryptozoology um, circuit? The net, it's a two-parter, and in the description shows for the second part they go into a Crowley connection. The Men in Black. Oh, well, we might have to listen to that. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't think we've ever listened to podcasts when we're not in the car. <laughs> um, but uh, but that was really fascinating. And then the other one we watched was the Flat Earth. Episode. Oh, that was great. And um, it's weird to see that it's growing so much and it's disappointing when friends of mine are all of a sudden toying with being flat earthers i don't want that to happen i don't get it i want my I friends to it. be smart i really want them to because it's you know it's a desire to to feel like you're in on something that no one else has that you have knowledge that someone no one else has yeah and to feel special and to mm-hmm. yeah. but you know it's more fun like the knowledge that's more fun that you can actually test and use and it's real is yeah is knowledge of, of astrophysics. Yeah. Like, that's great knowledge to get in on. <laughs> Idiotic flat earthers won't believe you. <laughs> but you will have knowledge that is profound and... But we don't, what do we know? We're a bunch of... Uh, what are the terms? Uh, globetards and globecucks? Globecucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have their own... Uh, they have their own Pepe the Frog. Yeah. 
God. Uh, it's it's yeah. And the, and the thing that really sucks about it is like a lot of these flat earth guys and a lot of these weird conspiracy theorists are occultists and mm-hmm. esotericists. So they're part of like our greater internet community. Um, and they're just giving, they, they give us a bad name. Yeah. They're basically, it's like, it's like a Christian fundamentalists mm-hmm. giving Christianity a bad name. Yeah. It's cultish. It's cultish. Yeah. Yeah. So does the, uh, Robo Brew, got it, I got it. <laughs> does the Robo Brew, um, beep or anything after, can you put a timer on it? Yeah, you can put a timer on it. Did you do that? No. Okay. So then our next step is get the uh, Therminator. Is that what their your your plate chiller is called? Yeah. Okay. Get the Therminator set up, the pump set up. Get the fermenters Get the uh, fermenters sanitized. And then we'll do a hop addition, then whirlpool, and then... How are we going to whirlpool? Are we going to use the copper? I don't know yet. I may just... There's such little amount of hops in this. I may just old school it with the... Spoon. Spoon, yeah. Um, and then, uh, so, so <clears throat> the fermenters we're going to use are just those plastic bins yeah. that you just got. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's going to work? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All I don't right. They wouldn't. Cool. And, uh, and you're going to do sort of an open fermentation. You're just going to have them hanging yeah. in here. They're going to have a lid resting on them, but they mm-hmm. won't be sealed. Because okay. even with an airlock, you're creating pressure. And right. I don't like to do that to Belgian strains. Okay. And we're going to hit it with a lot of oxygen. Oh, yeah. What stage do we do the oxygenation? Uh, right before we put the lid on. After oh, so it's that. in the fermenter. It's in the plastic yeah. tub. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This should be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess uh, we'll go do that now. Bye, reporter. <laughs>